the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Uh, my name is Ben. That's our super producer, the one and only Mr. Max Williams. <laughs> On the ones and twos of uh, super production, I guess. And Noel, you're coming You're coming from a different place today, huh? I'm, I'm coming in hot. If you hear, like, some, you know, sirens or, like, a car crash or just people screaming, uh, it's because I'm right by an air conditioning window unit at a rented apartment in Bushwick. Uh, I was on vacation, and then it was like, oh, no, we got to record an episode. And then also the Wi-Fi stopped working, so I'm doing this really, like, roundabout way of recording this right now. So uh, my apologies for any um, substandard quality of the audio. It'll still be the, the crisp Noel Brown sound you're used to, which you might hear some extra little goodies in the background like my uh, flatmate scott um folding up the uh, the sheets so we can get out of here in time for checkout Ah, uh, it's gonna it's gonna sound great we're hearing you loud and clear and you know one thing the pandemic has taught me is to think of those extra kind of unintended sounds or mm-hmm. those uh bob ross happy mistakes as <laughs> just another part of entertainment. I think it was Franklin D. Roosevelt who said, entertainment is always a national asset, invaluable in time of peace. It is indispensable in wartime. Well, I feel like a national ass hat because of putting you guys through the ringer with my weird situation. So thank you for rolling with me um, in this uh, in this episode today, which is, uh, as you were alluding to about wartime, I named my file that I'm recording war pianos. What, what does this mean, Ben? What does this mean? Ah, yes, War Piano. Well, as you pointed out, my friend, before we started recording, this would be a great band name, maybe an album name, Mm -hmm. but this is also a true story. During World War II, it turns out, the Steinway & Sons Piano Company created specially built pianos for uh, U.S. 
military troops, and these were called the Victory Vertical. Sometimes they were literally airdropped into conflicts just to provide a bit of relaxation. And, you know, they were made in a place not too far from where you're staying. They were made in a factory based in Queens. That's right. The Steinway and Sons factory in Queens. It was specifically a factory where they manufactured these specialty pianos that were made to be sold directly to the U.S. government. You know, and it's like imaginations can often run wild in ridiculous history when we see these headlines before we dig deep in. And in my mind, I, I, I just kind of was picturing the sort of Fellini absurdist version of the story where we're actually dropping pianos on the enemy, you know, because, you know, when you drop a piano from a great height, it makes a really terrifying sound. Uh, also, uh, I found this out from a doctor. Documentary. I can't remember exactly where I saw it, but if you drop a piano and it like, you know, survives as in it doesn't like completely, the strings don't just completely, you know, break and explode. And I use the word explode, not lightly, because if you are not careful or if you are not like paying attention, it's almost, it becomes a ticking time bomb. Because if the, um, the I believe it's called the uh, string bed or something like that, the uh-huh. part of the piano where the strings run across, if that gets cracked, then the piano becomes um, essentially unsound, structurally unsound. And it can uh, you know, slowly get to the point where that thing's going to break. And what do you think happens when it breaks? Piano! Boom. Yeah, yeah. Literal explosion of piano wire and wood and shrapnel. So it could have been potentially a good weapon, but that is not what we're talking about today. We're talking about more of a a way of uplifting the troops and giving them a little bit of, um, you know, uh, leisure time or something to kind of like, you know, take them away from the horrors of war. I like the idea, though. It's a good point. I like the idea of every piano being a potentially deadly pinata. If exactly. you just catch it on the wrong, you know, catch it on the wrong side of the strings. The wrong side of the strings. I'm sorry. Yes, great. you're right. It's also uh, this is also a boon to piano manufacturers. Uh, let's let's dive in. Okay, so we know that during World War II, people were still people. They loved music, right? And music was bringing folks together, especially as troops were scattered across the European and Pacific theater. There's something different here because in World War I, radio wasn't really a a thing for the average Mm -hmm. person. But in World War II, by December of 1941, over 95%, like 96.2% of people owned radios. And so millions of Americans would gather around and listen to music, listen to news from the front. This unified people, they had this massive, amazing effect on morale. And this is something that government officials recognized. They started thinking about how to keep the spirits of soldiers up despite the horrors of war. That's right. The idea of morale isn't just like a PR thing. I mean, it can actually affect how soldiers behave, you know, in the line of duty, how alert they are and how, you know, behind the cause they are. Because, I mean, it's when when people start really feeling despaired or, you know, homesick, it can absolutely affect the way they fight uh, and the efficiency with which they, you know, conduct themselves in the field of battle. So what was the best way to keep soldiers' morale up was a very important question that the government had to figure out during World War 
War II because this was also an absolutely unprecedentedly nasty war. It was absolutely very, very traumatic for all of these soldiers and their families. Uh, MichiganRadio.org has a fantastic article about the push to get pianos uh, to the front lines that talks about a lot of this stuff. Highly recommend checking that one out. But the government ultimately figured out the most efficient and powerful and doable way to keep the soldiers' morales up was by essentially shipping them or airdropping them pianos, but not just any pianos. These were pianos that had to be specially designed and reinforced uh, so that they could actually be parachuted into conflict zones. Jonathan Piper, um, who manages artifacts and exhibitions at the Museum of Making Music in Carlsbad, California, which sounds like a place I would love to go to, this place also has uh, some several examples of the pianos from this Victory Vertical project in their collection. And he goes on to talk about the military legacy of the Steinway and Sons Company. The president at the time um, had four sons that were in the military themselves. So he had actual skin in the game. Uh, and the company had um, already kind of shifted their production to building things like tails and wings and parts, you know, for military uh, transport, yeah. like gliders and all of that. And uh, because of that, they already had these parts to kind of bolster these pianos and make them ready to go uh, to be airdropped into these very dangerous zones. Yeah, exactly. And this is part of a larger trend that we see in manufacturing during World War II. Majority of U.S. industry shifted to a wartime economy. I did an episode about this for car stuff a while back, you know, like it's not fair to say that auto production numbers dropped. They disappeared and all the automakers were making stuff for the war. And of course, uh, people at Steinway and Sons are also able to push their manufacturing base into uh, products that will benefit the war effort. The thing with this idea of Uncle Sam saying, hey, make us pianos. Uh, We will pay you a guaranteed amount of money and we need this many pianos. The thing that's cool about that is that that could make the difference between the business staying afloat or going broke. But there was a catch because... These pianos might need to be airdropped. So just any normal old piano is not going to, it's not going to do the deed. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. 
You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. If you've ever moved a piano, you know it's a pain just when it's on the ground. So not only that, I mean, it's such a it's such a particular piece of, you know, kit that typically there are whole companies that are devoted to just moving pianos because you have to handle them a certain way. Because, like I said, they could be really dangerous if something gets cracked and literally, you know, you can have exploding wires, you know, coming for you. This is the part of the story that I find really interesting, like uh, specifically how they kind of ruggedized, you know, uh, wartime-ified these pianos. It's really interesting and clever um, and specific stuff that you wouldn't necessarily think unless you were a piano person. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, the Steinway Company at this point is already famous for the high quality of its musical instruments, but these are these are pretty much works of art, right? They're quite fragile. You have to be careful with them. So they needed to figure out how to design a piano that was super durable. And with this, we want to give a shout out to Atlas Obscura with their excellent article, When the Pianos Went to War by Wenny Lee. This article also introduces us to Jonathan Piper, who's the manager of artifacts and exhibitions at that Museum of Making Music over in Carlsbad. And he points out that Steinway needed to not only create a piano that could take a beating, but they also had to create a piano that was cheap to manufacture. They had mm -hmm. to be careful with their materials because, you know, there was a lot of rationing going on. There were a lot of shortages. And this is where we see some of those features they talk about. Like, it doesn't have legs. 
because legs would break off when you drop it from the air. Sure. Uh, I think they used a different kind of glue as well. The list goes on. Oh, they yeah. also don't have ivory keys. That's right. It was a water-resistant glue, which makes sense. They used something that's referred to in this Atlas Obscure article as anti-insect treatments, which I guess makes sense because a piano is sort of a cavernous thing where if you had, like, insects that got in there and, like, you know, bread could be a real problem and it could carry, you know, uh, potentially disease-carrying uh, insects, you know, into a, uh, an area with lots of, you know, uh, infectable uh, humans, even if it's just something like lice, right, or something like, you know, bed bugs maybe. I'm just guessing here, but that seems like the reason for that. Um, and the keys were covered with celluloid instead of ivory. And here's some of the little specific details that I think are interesting because you're right. This was obviously uh, an important thing for the military brass and the idea of, you know, making sure that the morale was up, but the materials were really precious and they had to be, you know, used to make things like weapons, actual weapons of war and transport like we were talking about, which is what the uh, Steinway company was already um, partly, had shifted partly to manufacture. So they needed to use as little metal as possible in one of these, um, specifically a tenth of the metal that would have been used in a normal piano. Um, mm -hmm. So in order to do that, for example, the bass strings, the really low rumbly strings on the left side of, of the piano um, were wrapped in soft iron instead of copper, uh, for example, mm -hmm. and they were able to reduce the metal in the piano, not only because it saved them those precious materials, but also made it where four soldiers could carry the thing. It was still 455 pounds, but they had to make it where, you know, it was doable because it would be dropped into a place where it would then be intercepted and they'd have to carry it back to the base. And they also, I believe, like added like handles on the side uh, that would mm -hmm. allow them to do just that. Yeah, yeah. And this also has, uh, visually, it's different. It has uh, olive green, blue and gray paint job instead of like a glassy dark wood finish. So it's like a camo piano, right? <laughs> Essentially. Yes, yes. A camo piano, a piano. We'll work on it. So oh, yeah. they, they, this, these are, like you said, these are lightweight. They're designed to be able to move, according to a professor at Eastern Michigan University, concert pianist Garrick Peterson, uh, who is heading the Victory Vertical Project. These pianos, the Victory Verticals, or OGs, as we'll find, uh, only had about 33 pounds of metal. For comparison, a normal upright piano would have about 300 pounds of Insane. metal. So they cut a lot out, right? So and clever. I mean, it really is very mm -hmm. ingenious the way they were able to figure out how to do this while making the thing sound like a Steinway and Sons piano, you know? Yeah. And, you know, the one of the only unmusical things about this was the official government name, which was the Olive Drab Government Issue Field Piano, <laughs> oh, <God>. abbreviated to <laughs> OG. Or oh, Oge? Olive, Oge? Olive Drab is, I think, the most Oge? like, I love Oge. it. No, I, I, <laughs> it's definitely odd. Uh, Olive Drab to me is like the most depressing sounding name for a color ever. Um, mm -hmm. it, it, I don't know why. I think it's just the word drab. Um, but yeah. the thing that's neat too is Steinway it was such a legacy brand already at that point. They'd been making um, pianos before even the metal frame piano became a thing. That wasn't patented until 1825. So this is like a very old company that had, that had experience 
instruments, kind of making pianos without metal frames. So they were uniquely positioned to be helpful in this uh, whole um, Operation um, mm-hmm. Vertical Horizon. I'm kidding, it's not what it's called. It's called Operation <laughs> Victory Vertical, but Vertical Horizon did have a banger or two um, back in the yeah. early aughts. Absolutely, yeah. So these, um, this task of getting these pianos and bringing them out to people fighting on the front falls to something called the Special Services, which was the entertainment wing of the U.S. Army Service oh. Forces. Is that like so the USO that, or what they're connected yeah. to? Yeah. It, it, like, yeah, I believe so. So the Special Service, uh, their entire job is to keep that morale high. So they're the ones who are in charge of the logistics here. Steinway, when they get this deal, they go on to make more than 3,000 of these specially designed pianos between 1941 and into 1953 during the Korean War. Uh, They were dropped into the field by parachute, and they would come with tuning equipment and instructions. And that's kind of weird. It feels stressful to already be in a battle and say, okay, now it's time to teach myself to tune a piano. Everybody mm-hmm. be quiet for a second. I will tell you, I, I don't own an acoustic piano, but I do own an auto harp, uh, which is mm-hmm. a similar mechanism, like string-wise. Um, you know, it's all of these strings that are connected um, with these kind of like keys that you have to tighten with an Allen wrench or like a, almost like a ratchet. So you have to have a special wrench that, that, you know, even can like turn the thing to tune it. And then there's so many strings that they're, you know, each one has to be kind of tuned individually. So it takes a long time and requires quite a lot of precision. And it's not something that really just any, you know, kind of novice could do. I just looked up and my internet came back, by the way. <laughs> How about that? Um, I just looked up victory vertical pianos for sale. Um, and I found one. It is 20,000 English pounds. It is really neat looking. It is as advertised, Ben. It is this olive drab. It looks exactly like if a government issue anything. It's a government issue piano. Might as well be a freaking thermos, you know, but it just has keys on it. And it's got like, you know, the place where the music stand would come out. It looks like it's kind of like ratcheted shut, almost like a like a window that's got boards on it. Um, and it's got it's an upright piano, like you'd picture like a honky-tonk kind of like barroom piano. And then it shows on this page the container that it was actually dropped in. It's not just dropped keys out, you know, like ready to go. It's in like a giant wooden packing container. But what a cool group of photos here because it shows a bunch of army buddies gathered around the thing with one guy playing and everyone else just kind of palling around, leaning, leaning on the piano. I mean, it really, you can see what an effect on their morale it had. Like they're very happy (laughs) and just kicking it, you know? Absolutely. You know, uh, this and these weren't all exclusively dropped out of parachutes. A lot of them were trucked to different USO centers. Uh, Some of them were even on submarines. So like imagine installing a piano on a World War Two era submarine. This piano in the submarine. Yeah, it was actually put in before the submarine was uh, fully constructed. They kind of built it, the piano into the thing. So when the submarine got decommissioned, they couldn't get rid of the piano without taking apart the entire boat. Because as you can imagine, space is tight on submarines. I was about still, to just say, yeah. yeah, how do you even, that seems like a, the last thing you'd be willing to sacrifice space for it on a submarine, or they maybe needed to build a submarine version. That was a Somebody little, probably like, slept on top of the piano, right? That's a good point. That's a good point. 
This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Hey, Noel, have you ever wanted to wake up to something better? Oh, boy, have I ever been. <laughs> well, uh, this is where Avalon Waterways comes in. How does waking up to a medieval castle, an ancient cathedral, a rolling vineyard, or a charming cobblestone village sound to you? Well, here on Ridiculous History, that's right up our street, Ben, our charming cobblestone street. So I can say it sounds pretty good to me. You're absolutely right, Noel. Avalon Waterways has redefined cruising in so many different ways. They've got the uh, widest opening windows. They've got beds that face the passing scenery. So wherever you go, you have a front row seat to the views of the world. And not only do you wake up in the best staterooms in the entirety of the business, but you're waking up in a new port every day, right in the heart of these amazing historic cities. Ah, Ben, sign me up. Open your eyes to a better view and a different kind of cruising. One with smaller ships, bigger experiences, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. I love that you're mentioning this image of people coming together and uh, singing, right, and playing music. This is a crucial point to acknowledge because the World War II U.S. Army was a draft army, meaning people were conscripted, meaning these yep. weren't necessarily career soldiers, right? You'd have musicians. You have people who ordinarily were just like playing the piano for a living who mm -hmm. got pressed into the military. So imagine how cool it is when, you know, you and your crew see one of these pianos getting dropped and then the guy you know from Missouri or whatever who plays piano is like, oh, I could go nuts on this for days. That's amazing. Well, and let's think about it. I mean, back then, the piano really was like the sort of jukebox of its time. Or like, think about like, you know, the old images of the Old West with the saloon and the piano player. Like, that is where the music came from. This was like a human, you know, uh, jukebox. And the pianos uh, that were shipped as part of this program came with sheet music and it would have been like popular tunes of the time like like classics you know like uh things like chopin or whatever or like maybe more like 
ragtime kind of tunes, but also would have had things like hymnals, like Protestant hymnals or patriotic kind of rah-rah, you know, sing-alongs mm-hmm. uh, and, and stuff like that that everyone would have been super familiar with and that anyone who would have been a pianist at the time would have been schooled in, in music reading, most almost definitely. I mean, that was just like part, came, came with the territory. It wasn't like there was any free jazz guys that were sitting down and just kind of like bopping it up. <laughs> but even those guys right. came from usually very uh, specific kind of classical roots or, or you know, uh, academic music training. That's how music was viewed in those days. Yep. And by the very end of the war, in total, remember earlier we said they'd made over 3,000 victory verticals exclusively for the military. They also made others that went to churches or schools. So all in all, they made ballpark 5,000 of these things. And, you know, these things are durable. Like you were saying, Noel, you can, if you have the scratch for it, even buy one today. Uh, we know also that Steinway didn't just make pianos. No, we talked about earlier on they were making like things like gliders, you know, like for paragliders or whatever, and other bits and parts and stuff that would have made sense based on their supply chain. But one thing that absolutely makes sense, because if you think about it, what is a piano if not kind of a coffin with like strings and keys? Um, it really is. It's got a, it's got a hinged lid. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a giant case that houses stuff. Um, so that was one of the things they made was coffins. Um, and then they yeah. shifted to making these victory verticals. And when you think about the fact that only 5,000 of these things ever existed, I don't think 20,000 English pounds is that much of a stretch. I mean, this is absolutely a museum piece, you know. Um, I, I don't know. You guys want to pool our, pool our coins and, and get one for the studio? You know, absolutely. why don't, yeah, we'll put it next to that gigantic, uh, gigantic grandfather clock that we, we use with the Quister. So we owe a thanks to... Professor Peterson over there at Eastern Michigan University, uh, because he has been so instrumental. <laughs> in telling Ooh. the story of the vertical victory piano. I'm not taking it back. We're leaving it in, Max. Uh, and he said that he had not heard of this story until 2010, and he learned about it when he actually got to sit down with Henry Steinway of the Steinways, the last member of the family that had been involved in the Steinway company. And he, uh, the way Peterson says is, I sat down and I just asked him a ton of questions, and one of them was, tell me something you're really proud of. And he had no idea that this story existed he thought he was the last person on earth to hear about it and he started talking to his friends other musicians other uh, professors other pianists and no one knew about it so thank you professor peterson uh, for bringing this story to the world Absolutely. And, and this story kind of does, uh, it's sort of the beginning of a trajectory of this whole idea of getting music to the troops, right? The, the radio was tough because you're abroad. So those broadcast signals have to be, you know, local and like, you know, uh, supported by the local regime. So if you're in a hostile territory, it's harder to, you know, I mean, I guess they could have set up a, I'm sure they did. If you think about things like Good Morning Vietnam later, where they had like, you know, radio for the troops on base, but this was an easier solution as logistically complicated as it sounds, but 
in the dawn of recorded music, right, um, which was a little bit later, you started to get uh, sort of an escalation of this whole thing and then something that would ultimately be easier. The American Federation of Musicians, or AFM, um, did a strike from 1942 to 1944 um, over, uh, surprise, surprise, disputes over royalties. So there was literally no music being recorded for record labels in the U.S. during that span of time. And again, I know that radio and and Victrolas and things like that, recorded music sort of were happening at the same time. But this was sort of in the heyday of like people being able to afford, you know, to have music, recorded music at the house. So the army essentially started its own label. Um, it got a pass and weren't like called scabs or whatever. Um, so they were able to round out some of the biggest uh, music stars of the 1940s uh, and created something called V-Discs. Um, v standing for victory. Uh, and they were recorded exclusively for the troops. Again, sort of like the USO vibe in the live you know, show setting, but in recorded music. And then these were shipped overseas. Uh, we actually have a clip here of what one of those sounded like. Wonderful. And what better way to draw today's episode to a close? Noel, I'm always uh, so glad to hear from you. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're having adventures up there in the Big Apple. Thanks as well to the one and only Mr. Max Williams. Thanks to Casey Pegram. And thanks to Alex Williams, who composed not that music you just heard, but the, the soundtrack for our show, which I think you're hearing now. Absolutely, which you know, consequently event. would have become the sound. Will have by this point uh, become the soundtrack of many of your lives. So Alex Williams <laughs> reaching out from beyond. Not that he's like dead or anything. He's just not here with us now. He would absolutely have been the guy in the army who would have been banging out some awesome tunes on one of those vertical uh, victory verticals. Uh, Alex yeah, is in an the excellent, most annoying way possible. The, well, oh, okay, Max. Okay, <laughs> triggered. Uh, no, I, I definitely been to like you know Ben. You. you or an improv guy and um, they're back 
pre-pandemic times, hopefully, I think it's coming back, but there's a venue where you always used to do improv shows uh, called the Highland Inn Ballroom. And you'll recall mm-hmm. that in the uh, little foyer before you go into the, you know, the part where you're seated and watch the show is an upright piano. And I remember distinctly taking Alex to one of those and him playing it quite loudly for a borderline inappropriate amount of time. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. let me jump in here on that. I remember Alex doing that all the time, but not at a bar or a ballroom, but at our apartment every day, every single day. The man's got a song in his heart. The man's got a song in his heart and a spring in his step. And you're right, Ben, practice does make perfect. But he would have been absolutely at home in the military sitting at one of these upright pianos. So uh, Alex here in spirit, uh, along with Christopher Hasiotis and Eve's Jeffcoats. And Ben, thank you as well. And sorry again for uh, any uh, weird bushwicky noises that you guys may have heard. But we made it through. It was a little shorter one, but a really sweet one, if you ask Mm -hmm. me. Well, you know, uh, you know my history, man. I've been recording in across the Pacific in undisclosed locations, etc. It's just uh, it's part of the gig, and sometimes it can be fun to record in a new place and tell a new story. Uh, also, thanks to the one and only Jonathan Strickland, aka the Quister, who may sooner rather than later drop in on our show just like a victory vertical falling from the sky but more like one of these scary exploding types that i mentioned at the top of the show mm, well you know we'll we'll see we'll we'll uh we'll cross that rubicon when we get there only time will tell we'll see you next time folks For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.